Welcome to the Triumphal Feast Podcast, a ministry of Elder Bryce Lowrance speaking to you from the pulpit of Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church in Social Circle, Georgia. Before God gave His design for the church to men, some 4,000 years before it, He designed another institution. That if this one's not working, listen to me, if this one doesn't work, then church doesn't work. Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church meets regularly two times a week. Our regular worship service is on Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern, and our Wednesday evening Bible study is at 7 p.m. Eastern. If you would like to attend in person, we are located at 3749 Mount Perrin Church Road, Social Circle, Georgia, 30025. For more information about these services online or Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church, please visit our website at mppbc.com. As we continue to study through the letter to the Colossian church, we now come to a section that makes some in our modern age uncomfortable or even angry. They claim the Bible to be out of date or out of step with the current culture. Well, actually, their claims are true. For if we are in step with the world, are we seeking the things of God? Today, we will begin looking at how we seek those things which are above. The Apostle Paul does not leave this as an open question where we fill in whatever we like to do and call it discipleship. Paul teaches us that there are things that God likes and approves And there are also things which are not to be part of a God-honoring life. Please open your Bibles and join with us as we begin in the last few verses of Colossians chapter 3. If you would, turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter 3. I'd like to begin this morning in verse 17. But know this, that this is a conclusion and also a transition as this letter is wont to have where the topic is reviewed and also applied before and after. So we're going to look at a few things here in Colossians chapter 3 and probably the first verse of Colossians chapter 4 this morning as well. We have been over the past several weeks focusing on The theme of, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. I can remember as a child preachers teaching that we should turn to the Lord. And preachers teaching that we should seek ye first the kingdom of God. And I remember asking myself, and I've had young folks here lately ask me the question, well, how do you do that? You've encouraged us to do it. And it sounds really good, and it sounds like that's a blessed life, but how do you do it? The Apostle Paul does not leave that as an unanswered question. The problem is we may not like how it is we seek the things which are above. We may want to redefine what we think is a heavenly thing and think we're doing a pretty good job based upon 
the misbehavior of our neighbor. And so this morning, I want us to see how we do it. How do we seek those things which are above? Verse 17 is an anchor verse in this. And so Colossians 3, 17, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. This is the anchor or theme of how it is to seek those things which are above. If when we are doing something, Christ is not on our mind before we say or do it, then we're not seeking the things which are above. That's simple, but our old nature doesn't like that. Because it's simple, and it leaves the blame upon us, because God has made it easy for us to figure out how to seek those things that are above. Put Christ first in our lives. Now, y'all have heard me teach for over four years now, and I'm not saying there are things that we don't do in this world, but what I'm saying is, is that's not the theme of our lives. The theme of our lives is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if the things we are doing, Christ is not in, then we should not be doing them. If the things that we are doing, Christ can and is in, then we ought to be living those things fully to the glory of Christ. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. This includes the way we worship immediately before this. It talks about letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. That means we must be under the sound of the gospel and we need to be singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs because that's one of the key ways we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. When we worship, we are not to worship according to our personal desires. I remember having a discussion with a fellow one time before I baptized him. He was a deacon in a different denomination for over 35 years. And one of his questions was, well, y'all don't use instrumental music. And he said, no, we don't. We sing a cappella. I believe we have direct instruction in Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3 to do the same thing. He said, well, I prefer a guitar and and mandolin and a bass. And I said, he said, that's just what I'm used to. And I said, I totally understand that. First of all, that took him aback that I, that I told him I understood. I said, but that's a matter of preference, is it not? And he said, yes. And I said, well, we've got some folks that go to church here that like the band Nine Inch Nails. Does that mean we need to bring in heavy metal music into worship? And he said, no, I get your point. <laughs> if we allow whatever we want in worship by our preference, whether it be in the kind of music that we sing or use or the content of the message, if it's by our personal preference, then that means we can open the door to anything. And that is not being done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's being done in the name of my personal preference. And so when Paul mentions this in verse 17, he is talking about the things that went before but he's also talking about the things that come after. And we're going to get to those in just a second. But let's just review what he has said. He said, you're dead and your life is hid with Christ. Your true identity is in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And we're never going to feel comfortable on this earth, on this side of glory. It'll never be completely there, but we're going to have a better understanding of who we are when we realize our true identity is in Christ Jesus. And when he appears, it's all going to make a whole lot more sense. And so until then, Paul says you're to do this. Stop doing these things. Put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another. He goes on to the things of the way the world not only likes to live, but encourages people to do. We are encouraged to lie. Anybody that has ever gritted their teeth and filled out a 1040 paying taxes, you're encouraged to lie. Am I right? <laughs> because it's a lot cheaper if you don't tell everything. That is a fallacy and a breakdown in our society to where in order to be able to provide for your family, that you have to lie to the government. And the government knows it. And so that's a, a messed up system that needs to be solved. We're encouraged to um, throw forth our anger. I am very thankful for the overturn of Roe v. Wade a few weeks ago. Very thankful for that. I am not thankful for the anger that has come out of Christian mouths before and after that. I'm not thankful for anybody's anger, but especially the Lord's people need to put away wrath and malice and anger. And we need to be willing to not only stop the killing of that unborn, but to take care of it after the mother carries the baby to term. And that's not happening. Again, that's another problem in our society. They've made it ridiculously expensive to adopt. We need to be praying that that turns around. As much as we were praying for the lives of the unborn, we needed to be praying for a way to take care of them. Because when we put off all of these things that not only the world enjoys doing, but encourages and coerces us into doing, we are to replace those behaviors. Whatsoever we do in word or deed, we do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we replace those evil deeds and we put on the new man as the elect of God. We're beloved. Therefore, we are to have bowels of mercies. I love how the King James translators translated that correctly. It doesn't say bowel of mercy. It said bowels of mercies. That means as soon as we think we're being merciful enough to somebody, we've missed the point. There is more mercy. Christ shows us more mercy every day, does he not? And so we should share the same. I'm not going to re-preach this section, but remember, doing things. Here is the way that you seek those things which are above. You change your behavior. You say, well, I, I, I kind of want to be called a Christian, but I, I don't want to change. We're not. You ask the question, how do I do that? Paul says, here's how you do it. You have to stop doing things like the world and like the old man and put those things to death in your life because you're dead to them. All they're going to do is make your soul sick and start doing these new things which are boiled down into above all these things. Put on charity. Live for the benefit of others around you. 
That means more often than not, we are making decisions that might actually, I don't want to say bring harm to ourselves, but takes us away from things that we would typically enjoy doing in order to help somebody else. Again, I am not telling us that we need to give so much money to something that we cannot provide for our family. But what we need to realize is we need to be giving. And that may mean we need to be more conservative in the way we feed our family. One of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard was Brother Julian Cunningham. He's a deacon down at Little Union, passed away this past year. He gave some awesome advice. But he had a, a young couple... This was during an annual meeting, but this young couple was having some serious financial struggles. And they sat down with him at a table, and I, I just happened to be within earshot of it, and they knew I was listening. Um, but I was concerned for them, and they stated their case to Brother Julian. And he sat there for a moment, and he only said one thing. He said, you know, I found out I don't need to eat out near as much as I think I do. And left it at that. It costs a lot of money to eat out. I'm not saying don't eat out. He just, and he wasn't saying don't eat out. He said, I found out I don't have to eat out near as much as I thought I did. What loving counsel, instruction in self-control and in devotion of time. Some of the funnest times that I've had and some of the funnest things that I've seen is when family members make a meal together. It's fun. It's joyful. It's fellowship. The result in doing this is the peace of God is going to rule in our hearts. And so we come back to our verse. I've reviewed what's before, put away the way the world acts, and act like Christ is essentially what that's saying. But that's not all. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by him, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is, is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. So, Brother Bryce, you're getting a little personal on this. No, I'm not. Paul is. Paul is saying one of the major aspects of seeking those things which are above and doing everything that we do in word or deed involves family life. God has a design for the family. And the closer we are to living that design, the more peace we have in our lives. And the, more, and the reason is there's more peace is because we are actually setting our affection on things above not on things of this earth. Having spent many a year in public education, I knew long before they started pu publishing things in the news that the number one cause of the decline of the United States of America was the demise of the family. I taught so many children that did not have a father in the home. We're looking at a nation right now that's, that the statistics say one quarter of this nation has never had a father. Folks, that's a horrible, horrible circumstance, and it's created what we have now. It's created 
a field for anger to flourish and for confusion. But God didn't design it that way. How did God design it? We're going to look at these things specifically, but I just want to look at at something for a second. Turn all the way back to the book of Genesis. Because we might think we have the idea that, well, all I need to do is go to church and I'm going to be seeking those things which are above. Pharisee. I'm calling myself a Pharisee. That's what I thought it used to mean. I just went to church more. That meant I was doing better than the people who weren't going to church. I'm doing fine. I was a Pharisee. Before God gave his design for the church to men, some 4,000 years before it, he designed another institution. That if this one's not working, listen to me, if this one doesn't work, then church doesn't work. Because they're supposed to be that united together. Genesis chapter 2. This is a recap of what happened in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, we get the creation of man, both male and female. Adam and Eve were created in Genesis 1. Genesis 2 is giving a recap and, and more detail of that sixth day. Adam has named all of the animals. But that wasn't what was happening when Adam was naming the animals. God was looking for a helper for him and brought the animals before him. And as he named him, it was found that none of them was a meat or a fitting helper to him. That's what was happening. Not just the naming. He was looking for a partner for Adam because it's not good that man should be alone. Let's pick it up in verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Notice help meets not one word. I will make and help meet or that is fitting for him. That takes care of a lot of weird stuff. I'm just going to leave that there. This in God's design is what is fitting and what works. Because if it's not fitting, it doesn't work. Well, we seem to be doing okay in our relationship. No, you're not. We go to church, so is it an honoring relationship to the Lord? If not, then it is sin. Marriage is honorable and all, and the bed undefiled. Anything else is sin. Period. Bugs me to no end to have people spewing ugly things on the internet at homosexuals while they're living in fornication. You're just as big a sinner as they are. You just defined the line at a different spot, and neither one of you defined it where God did. <laughs> and help meet for him. It doesn't say a servant for him, and it doesn't say a master for him. It says and help meet for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever 
Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, here it is, there was not found and help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had, excuse me, taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, notice this, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Everything about this, God honored. There is nothing in the world that is fitting for a man except a woman. And it's a woman. God didn't make multiple women out of one rib. He made one. And he didn't make it from his toe where he would be the overlord of her. Neither did he make it from his skull that she would rule over him, but from his rib that she would be and help meet for him there at his side. But God did not make man from woman. God made woman from man. That is a godly fact. Therefore, the Apostle Paul says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. First of all, here's what it doesn't say. You can pay a woman 25% less than a man. That's the thinking of the world. That's a misapplication of Scripture. Neither does it say that women submit themselves to every man. It never says that one time in Scripture. It's the wife submitting herself on your own husband. If you read it over in Ephesians chapter 5, it is because the man is Christ in the home. As submitting unto Christ. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Remembering that the woman was made as an help meet for man. That they are together heirs of life. That's the beauty of the husband and wife relationship. They become heirs together of the blessings of life here on earth. I've seen... Lots of different families and lots of different ways of folks saying they're trying to make it work. And normally when I preach on this, I spend a little bit more time on the men than I do on the women, and I'm probably going to do the same thing again this morning. But here's the reason why. It's a whole lot easier for a Christian woman to, to submit to a man that's acting like Christ than it is to submit to a man that's acting like the devil. And so, 
Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. Brothers, in particular, pay attention to this verse from the closing portion of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, Quit you like men, be strong. Not the way the world defines strong. That's anger, malice, wrath. I don't have to tell you stories of, because you know families that mom brought the children to church and the husband was nowhere to be found. That's not a man according to the word of God. That is somebody that's male, but is not acting like God designed him to do. He says, watch ye. You have the responsibility, brothers. Just like Christ watched out for your soul and died for it. We have that responsibility. Stand fast in the faith. Is there going to be a situation sometimes where the wife may be more studied in the Bible than the husband? Yes. But it doesn't need to stay that way. That just means, brothers, we need to read the Word of God more. We need to be the one asking the pastor more questions. We need to be the one to have the scriptural answer. So, Brother Bryce, I just I don't understand it sometimes. I can tell you several different stories of primitive Baptist preachers that didn't know how to read the English language. And they solved it. They recognized that God had called them to preach the gospel. And so while their wives were reading the word of God to them, they learned to read. They didn't quit just because they were lacking in a skill. Paul says, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. When we are on a job, brothers, and there's a problem that comes up, do we just quit or do we figure it out? That's part of stand fast and quitting like men and being strong. Because again, the wife that's submitting to a husband is submitting to a husband that is not bitter against them, meaning he's not ugly. And he's not cruel. And he's not physically harmful to her. I've challenged this in every church that I've been in, and I'll make the challenge again today. If I hear of a brother who lays a hand on his wife, I'm going to be at his door. And if you're not there with me, brothers, I'm coming to your door next because I'm suspecting you're doing the same thing. Christ never laid a hand on his bride. Christ died for his bride. Brothers, if we're like that, then a Christian woman is perfectly willing to submit. Sisters, if you're not willing to submit, you're not a Christian woman. You're a prideful woman because this is what God designed. And say, well, my husband doesn't do this. My husband doesn't do this. Did Paul say do this if your husband's doing it? Or did he say submit? 
Now, if he is telling you to do something that violates the word of God, you don't have to obey that. But if he is pleased to dwell with you and you can act as a Christian, you can submit to them. I have seen some of the most powerful women whose husbands are extremely weak. But there is an obvious devotion to the word of God and she submits to him still. So that tells me it is possible. But neither one of it works out of pride. This family relationship, this husband and wife relationship is not 50-50. It's 100%, 100%. Devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in so doing, the role that God designed as the wife lived that way. And the role that God designed as the husband lived that way. Don't say, I'll do it as soon as she starts. I can solve that for you right there. Did Christ die for you when you decided you wanted him? No. <laughs> All right. Each of us has our personal responsibility to study the word of God and find out how God has designed the role for a woman and the role for a man. We are out of time for today, so we will pause the message there. Please join us again next week for the conclusion of the message, How Do We Seek Those Things Which Are Above? We hope this edition of Triumphal Feast has been a blessing to you. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and visit our website at mppbc.com for further resources, including our devotional blog, Little Brother's Thoughts on the Bible. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you all is our prayer.